Screen Thoughts lover, I am so excited to welcome back Elizabeth Basson, who you might all remember, podcast with me just a week or so ago about the Hartsfield Landing uh, West Wing reunion that we did together. Elizabeth, everyone loved you. We got so many write-ins saying how smart you were and quick, which nobody wants to waste time on long-winded podcasts, right? So thanks for being here. Well, thank you. I don't believe you because you didn't send any of them to me, so I think you're making it up, but that's oh. fine. <laughs> uh, actually, I asked some. Don't send them to me. Yeah. I don't uh, want to see them. Okay. Well, you don't want. You definitely don't want to see the negative ones. But we're, anyway, we're thrilled that you're back. Also, what an exciting one to try to talk about the Queen's Gambit. All right, it's fiction, but it's about a brilliant prodigy chess player who had a very rough start in life. A, a young girl. Mother had a tragic death, which we won't go into on here because we try not to do spoilers. And it turned out she turned out to be a chess prodigy. And it takes us through the trajectory of her challenges and her overcoming them. And gosh, wasn't it nice to see a woman chess player? Yeah. And Anya Taylor-Joy is stunning. She's also, she's gorgeous. She's also very unique. I don't know that something can be very unique, but she is very unique looking. And she's fun to watch. She's, she's got a lot of emotion on her face, even though she's very blank. Well, it's funny because I think the camera loves her. There are certain mm-hmm. faces that the camera loves, and then you end up as the watcher, the viewer loving. And she's yeah. one of those faces that it's not that she's a classic beauty or she, you know, I mean, Meryl Streep has that same thing where she's not a classic beauty, but there's something about her that is mesmerizing. Now, get this. She's done 12 films in the last five years. That doesn't surprise me. I saw her in The Witch at Sundance many years ago, five, yeah. four or five years ago. Yeah. And she was remarkable. This, it takes place in the earliest of settlements of America, very religious. She never got tripped up on the language. She's in the same dress for the whole thing. And her character has a pretty intense transition throughout the movie. It's all about her. And yeah. she she carried the whole thing. She's incredible. Well, she's done The Witch, Split, Glass. Mm-hmm. She did Emma. And she's had one day in between the last four films she's done. So she wow. finished Emma. And a day later, she showed up to film this. Good so that, her. well, not only that, I mean, it shows an extraordinary ability to be able to get into character. And one of the things she said is, and I quote, in playing 21 characters over the last six years, there has not been an awful lot of time for figuring out who I am or what mm. I like to do, she explained. So I hope she's going to take a little bit of time. You know, she's in her early 20s. This is, you know, I've got to believe she's going to be getting some sort of nod around her performance in this series. Don't you agree? Yeah, I imagine. It's also, it's such a weird year with COVID. I don't know how that's going to work this year. Yeah. I think the Oscars are going to be weird. I think the Emmys are going to be weird. But yes, her performance is fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, also she, as a woman, I'm not all that impressed with them anyway, because it's so jaded toward a male point of view that I don't really hold much, much to them. But I'd love to see a young emerging vision like her possibly get sort of something around it. But let's start off talking a bit about the film and the plot. And for me, it was about so many relationships. You know, her adopted mother, the janitor, her friend from the orphanage, men, Each man that she ended up being with was, you know, for me, part of this was this woman who lived her life really in her own head and in the chessboard. And we watched these difficult relationships unfolding around her. 
Yeah, you know, I liked the show. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was beautifully shot. I thought it was beautifully written, beautifully directed. The set design, the costume design, everything about it was... Well, the 70s, was, I mean, they brought them back brilliantly. Yeah, I think I think it's a 60s into 70s. And yeah. it's if I could jump into her closet, I'd be really happy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think I walked away from the show... I had to look up what it was about. I hadn't read the book. It's based on a book from the 80s. Written uh, by a man. I mean, written by a man. Female character who I think, you know, the inside of her, and I thought he nailed the female character. I was shocked it was written by a man. You know, it's funny because the show was created by men as well. It's written and directed by men. And I think Scott Frank did a beautiful job and Alan Scott is the co-creator there as well. And the writing's fantastic in the show. Yeah, yeah. But when I read this blurb that said that the show was about a young woman coming of age, dealing with traumatic childhood and overcoming addiction, I don't know that that resonated with me walking away from the show that that's what the show was about. I, well, maybe it's not. <laughs> you know, maybe it's not. Yeah, maybe just that's just somebody's opinion. Yeah, exactly. Because I didn't think it was about addiction at all. You know, I thought it was about connecting, you know, whether it was... Well, she certainly that. suffers from that. Yeah. Oh, well, Yeah. Yeah. Something that I struggled with was obviously there's mental illness in her family, right? And that, and that's part of the relationship with her mother that you get to learn about that. She struggles with addiction herself. And then obviously her adopted mother, Marielle Heller, who is actually better known as a director, but now I'm sure will be sought after as an actress. Really? Um, I didn't know that. Fantastic. What, what, what has she directed? She's directed a few things. She actually directed A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, where Tom Hanks starred oh, she as did. Rogers. She also directed a movie called Can You Ever Forgive Me? And before that, what kind of put her on the radar was A Diary of a Teenage Girl, which is huh. just a phenomenal so movie. So what made her go, do we know, I, I don't know anything about her, what, what made her go from directing to acting, do we know? I have no idea. I mean, yeah. she, she acted before, she'd been in some other things before, but I didn't really know her as an actress. She's, I, I she's know her brilliant. name as a director. By the um, way, she's everybody in it is brilliant, you know, yeah. and that's true. Brilliant. I mean, there's, an, I think it was so well cast and you're right. When you started off and you said, you listed off, it's got, you know, great direction, great writing, great, you know, there's nothing like a movie that comes together where all parts are equally valuable and equally well done. And mm -hmm. I think this is one of those series as well. Yeah, I did struggle the first couple of episodes. It's pretty <laughs> slow. It picks up around episode four. Thomas Brody Sangster, who most people will know as the young kid from Love Actually, who I plays know. the drums, <laughs> it, he shows up and suddenly, like, there's a whole new pace to the show. Yeah. Picks up, it's fun, the music changes, you're way into the 60s. He's got a mustache to make him not look 14. He will always look 14. I was going to say he's still <laughs> 14. Yeah. But just, I think just, he's like 30 yeah, exactly. now. Yeah, yeah. But he's adorable and he's fun. Right? Like he's, he's kind of the bad boy of the chess world, I guess. Apparently that's a thing. Uh, and, yeah, but he also, he also brought an interesting technique to the chess player world where all the other chess players that they show, and you've seen in Bobby Fischer or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, there's a distance between them and being able to connect. Yeah. And his whole chess game is based on connection and outwitting you mentally, which has yeah. nothing to do with the moves he's making. So I know what you mean about the fast pace, but I wondered to myself, could this have been, would you have preferred Elizabeth to see this as a film rather than a series? I think I might have. Uh, I think it, it gets a little slow in the middle. 
I think once you get to episode five, it picks up again. One of the things that they try to thread this throughout the whole that Borgov's going to be her big opponent, they, they kind of try to thread that throughout the entirety of the show. It's not really like he's this big bad Russian, right? He's supposed to be this big bad Russian that he's the best in the world. And, and he seems like a pretty decent guy who, you know, happens to have been raised in Russia. <laughs> and it's interesting because it's during the Cold War. So you, it, there's such an opportunity to really lean into Russia as the villain, not necessarily Borgov, but Russia as the villain. And they don't, they don't really take that bait. It's kind of, it's so much more about her. Well, but, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because one of the things that it brought to me is, you know, this is a period in history where I, as an American, are waking up to the fact that my country's not, I feel like I've, I've been this duck swimming on a pond and all the view from my pond is beautiful. Oh, look at that lovely home and look at that pretty mm-hmm. rock and whatever. And meanwhile, underneath the pond, there's this whole terrible darkness world going on that I didn't realize was part of my country. You know, all of a sudden I realized it. Okay. One of the things that struck me in the relationship with the Russians and the Americans is one of the things they pointed out. It'll be interesting to see if you noted it too. And that is the Americans never got together and helped each other. Mm -hmm. And then they talk about how the Russians did get together and help each other. And then at this one point she's over in Russia we're not going to tell you she's playing with or anything but she happens to go to her room and she sees some people working together to figure out how to play her the next day. Mm-hmm. And she, here she is alone in her room. And yeah. You know, and- right. Well, we can't really go into what exactly what happened there, but to me, it's sort of the opposite of what we were always raised to believe mm-hmm. that we Americans work together and we're always trying to help each other. And here's <laughs> the Russians who are really helping each other because winning the world championship as a Russian was more important to them than Mm -hmm. any individual inside winning it. And I think he was sort of playing along with that, you know? Yeah, I think also Thomas Brody Sangster's character, Benny, points it out really well when he talks about how the Russians play as a team because they're raised together as a team to play chess together. They help each other. They tell each other about their opponents, what have you. And I think he says something along the lines about how Americans are just such goddamn individualists. (laughs) We're such capitalists, right? We're all out for our own. You know, it's funny because today, France shut down the country until December 1st. You can't leave yeah. unless you're getting groceries or whether if you have a job that's, that can't be done without. You mm-hmm. can't leave your apartment. Okay, and I can't get somebody to wear a mask at the corner gas no. station. And I went in today and I will tell you that I lied and said I was with the health department. And if they didn't put masks on, I was shutting them down. I Good for you. And then I bought, and then I bought a can of Diet Coke. Uh, You know, Putin Putin ordered a national mask mandate in Russia. Hello. Okay. But we, you know, we can't, we're not going to go there, but (laughs) at the same time, maybe they're right. Maybe that, you know, one of the things that I got out of this series was that perhaps the individualism of America is our demise as well as a strength, you know? So I don't know, but I think it's funny that we both came up with that. And I had forgotten that dialogue where he talks about, you know, we're individualists and they, you know, they grew up and work together, you know. They're comrades. As, yeah, they are. They are comrades. Okay, what did you think of the janitor? I don't know. I oh, know. Bill Camp is fantastic. I, but what he, have, we, what, have we seen him in anything? Bill Camp? Yes. You definitely have. He's one of those character actors who pops up and you don't recognize because he kind of morphs into every character he's ever played. One thing they did really well with that relationship 
there's such an obvious opportunity to make that creepy and gross. I know. And, and, and you were worried at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And they did a beautiful job of, yeah. of acknowledging it and then going right, right by it. It's not a part of the story. Yeah. The creepy part that she's referring to is that she meets him in the basement when she goes there to clean erasers and you don't know whether he's going to be a good boy or a bad boy. Yeah. <laughs> and, but in the end, and there's a final scene that he's not in and where she really sees how he felt about her in a way he never really reached out and said. And I think it was beautiful. And I think a couple of the scenes they did, one, she's eating chocolates, which she's been given for something she's done. <laughs> and she's got the chocolate all over her mouth and she's talking faster and more... She's got more excitement and life about her than we've seen through the entire series. And I thought, wow, this is a pivotal moment. And he's handling it beautifully. He's just letting it all come out, you know? Yeah, he's her only parental figure in the whole show. Well, you don't, you don't think her adoptive mother is? <laughs> no. Her adopted mother hands her her first beer. Her adopted mother hands her her first martini, like... No, yep. she is, she's not much of a mother figure. It's funny because for me, she mirrored her own mother, the mother she grew up with that she only saw for six years. Absolutely. Where she was constantly worried about her. She needed to be the caretaker. She needed mm -hmm. to take care of her mother rather than her mother taking care of her. So for me, she was exactly the mother figure that she could know and love. And I kept thinking, when is she going to turn away from this woman who has no interest in her as a human being? And the only interest she has in what is what she can bring to her. And she never does. And then I realized, well, it's a mirror image of her own mother that she had growing up. Yeah, and Mr. Schneibel is the only parental figure in her life. And well, it's the only not... the only good parental figure because well, there are parental other parental figure. Yeah. The parental figures in her life are not parents, right? right? They don't take care of her. They're not guardians. Those are the two moments of emotion that we see out of her, real emotion that yeah. we see out of her in the entire series. She's pretty stoic, she's pretty blank-faced. The most animated we get is in that chocolate scene and then is it the finale or the second to last episode where we see her response to how he's tracked her over her life? Not only that, but we see when the guy that she wanted to be her lover shows up to support her in Russia. And she gives him a hug from, you know, the kind of hug I like to get when my daughter walks in the room. So, I mean, I, there were moments, there are just these flashes of moments around her that show it. Now, one of the things the reviewers have been really critical of is that at the end, a bunch of people come together to support her through her Russian challenge that she's got. Mm -hmm. And people said, there's no way these people would have supported her because she had no real friendships going on with them. She was not a good friend. She rejected all of them in really unpleasant and unkind ways. It didn't make sense that they would come together to support her. And I totally agreed with that premise because I believe that they were also coming forward to support an American winning the world championship of chess, but also they understood her. They understood why she couldn't. I felt there was a lack of depth in that attack on the series. What are your thoughts on that? I can see both sides of it. You know, she's defensive out of nature, right? She's been left behind her whole life. So of course she pushes people away before they're going to push her away. I think they did a beautiful job of showing that these other players really cared about her. They each at a different point throughout the show have taught her more along her chess journey, but inadvertently 
in her emotional journey. They've each helped her grow. Well, they also each recognized that she was smarter than them. Right. And she's an illusory character in the sense of she's a woman who can play chess and she's in fact beaten all of them. Yeah. Which, by the way, I'm not giving anything away because you see in the very first scene that, like, she's made it. She's, she's doing pretty well. Yeah, she's absolutely. Okay, I have a great quote. Did you have a, did you, any quote stand out to you? I'm going to give you mine. No, not really. Okay. <laughs> All right, ready? Okay, it's Harry. Harry Beltic says, anger's a potent spice. A pinch wakes you up. Too much dulls your senses. God, I thought it was amazing. I thought it was... I, you know, I, I rewound it. I, you know, it, it slips by. It's easy to miss. It just so happened mm-hmm. that I was paying close attention, which is never the case. And I thought to myself, what a great lesson. It's true. You know, pinch of anger calls me to action, but too much of it makes me just, I can't think of anything other than the anger. Yeah. And her anger is her weakness as well, right? It's, it's the only thing that gets in her way from winning. It's, yeah. it's only when she gets angry that she loses. It's also the only time, aside from two others, that we see her cry is when she gets angry. (laughs) Now, it was funny because when, before I looked into who wrote it and there was a male person who wrote the book and that the book, she was a female character in the book, I thought to myself, I was surprised they didn't remake it with a male character in the role. Oh, really? Yeah. Not today. Okay, which leads, it's so brilliant that you said that because it leads me to my next point, ready? So guess who was supposed to direct this 10 years ago, but they felt the world would not be interested in this story? Who was it? Heath Ledger. He was supposed to direct it? Yep. Oh, interesting. It was going to be his directorial debut. And of course, he passed away, as we all know, and he wasn't Mm. able to do it. And I thought to myself, I think he would have brought an incredible nuance to the direction of that film you know he's such a sensitive soul or he was and I thought I would like to have seen him direct this as his first film made me a little bit sad but I did wonder if he would have cast her or his love interest personally yeah I don't know I when I first saw the trailer for it I immediately assumed it was based on a true story which it's not me too but it's not the book is fiction That was odd to me as someone who works in the industry. I wasn't entirely clear. You know, maybe the book was a bestseller when it first came out, um, but it was 82, I believe, when the book first came out. So it's, it's kind of rare to see books like this that are not based in truth, that are period, that are smaller, get adapted the way that this has. Obviously, it's got a stellar cast behind it. Scott Frank is unbelievably talented, and he's a big player. So I'm sure when he got involved, it was... Uh, you know, no question that they were going to make it. Uh, But, you know, we've kind of transitioned as a society, especially within Hollywood, that things need to be diverse. They need to be female driven, or at least- I I love the roles that are out there for women. I'm so Mm -hmm. happy. And also we do gather. (laughs) (laughs) And not only that, we want to watch women. And Mm -hmm. I just think of these young girls who are coming up now, they're going to go start playing chess when they see this. So anybody so. who knows a woman who has a daughter between the ages of seven and 11, they should be watching this. Well, maybe. Ooh, I don't know if they should be watching yeah. this, actually. There's some adult content uh, yeah, in there. Yeah, no, that's um, true. But, but they can certainly watch. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. But get this. So it turns out that the chess moves and the chess games that are taking place, unlike 
Finding Bobby Fischer and some of the other major chess films that have been done. These are all real games that were set up by Kasparov, actually. Yeah. He put them together. So now get this. I love this about Anya. So Anya Taylor-Joy, when she was working with the coach in terms of how she was going to play the moves and everything else, she's, you know, she's supposed to be this female chess master. So you have to really look at this very carefully. But she, here's what she said about it. I wanted her, meaning Beth, to have a very distinctive way of moving the pieces that was still whilst quick and ruthless, love the word, undeniably feminine. Beth doesn't have to choose. I loved, I, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm actually working with a life coach and you have to come up with all these words that are, you know, mm -hmm. who, who are you in your core? And I'm like, I want to be ruthless and fair. Hmm. And, she, and she said, ruthless isn't one. I'm like, well, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, fair and ruthless. Why shouldn't I be ruthless toward a quest of fairness? But I love that here she is picking up that same thing. She shouldn't have to choose between femininity and strength. You know, she could bring it all to the table. So she's working with this man and he, she shows him, here's what she says about it. I showed him my chess trainer, the way I wanted to move the pieces and how I wanted to kind of flip them over as sleight of hand. He graciously was like, well, I've never seen a chess player do that, but it looks cool. And if you can pull it off and do it quickly, then I say, see no reason why it shouldn't be part of her character. So she did. So the way she moves those chess pieces, mm -hmm. Anya came up with herself. And I love that she clearly, even though she only takes one day off in between characters, mm -hmm. she really gets into character. And what an amazing thing to put together. And I want to go back and watch a couple of the sequences to see what I think now. Well, she does do, she also does a beautiful job of evolving as a character yeah, throughout does. the show. Her gait changes, her posture changes, you know, she grows up over the course of the show. There's a different actress who plays her as a nine-year-old. And then I think Anya starts playing her at like age 14. Yeah. But you can see her as her confidence grows as a chess player. Her movements change, how she plays changes as well. And she, she does do a beautiful job of representing that. I think there's some gratuity when it comes to her spin out. I don't know that we needed quite the length of time where she's in that spiral and that felt a little well known and well honed. You know, we've seen a lot of that before. When your question of, you know, could this have been a feature? I certainly think it could have. Yeah. Uh, you think it would, are you saying you think it might have been better as a feature? I don't know. I think had this material come to me and I'd wanted to pursue this, I most likely would have identified it as a feature. Exactly. Well, it's interesting that you're saying that because I always go and whenever we're going to be reviewing something, I always take a look on Facebook and some of the media platforms to mm -hmm. see what people are saying. And so many of the Facebook pages, you know, the, the pages around Netflix and stuff are saying, mm -hmm. I'm on the second episode. Should I stay with this? Yeah. A yeah. lot. Of, so I don't mm -hmm. think you're alone. It is slow. Yeah. And yeah. I, I certainly wondered after the first one, but I don't know why I stayed with it. But by the third one, I was totally in. But overall... I don't know if I would have. If we weren't doing this, I don't know if I would have stayed with it. Are honestly. you glad you did? Yeah, I will say it's a little convenient towards the end. Mm -hmm. There's well, a little bit of a magical Negro spin there <laughs> that I found a little offensive. You know, the girl she grows up with in the orphanage who she hasn't spoken to in years 
since she's become this famous chess prodigy, shows up out of nowhere to save her and send her to Russia. And she says, I'm not here to save you, but she definitely is there to save her. And she's well, just that, that little wisdom. Yeah, and she does save her. So, mm-hmm. But I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it because this is the year when we're home finding our new way. And I love any female character that usually has been played by a male figure. So I'm, I was happy to have it. So I highly recommend it. And I think in wrapping up, I think what we can say is we had a lot to talk about for something that yeah. may yeah, so it might be worth watching just to see if you agree with, with Liz or, you know, or myself and see where And it are. does pick up around episode four, episode five. Like, three, once I got there, I was like, three. great. Okay, I'm saying no. episode three. Okay. No. We'll, we'll, have a, <laughs> we'll, have a, we'll have a little vote on that. Okay. Now, also, the last thing we're going to do, we're going to try to roll through this a little quickly because we're running a little long, but we wanted to, I thought we'd reinstate the infamous list of six again. Now, you guys all remember O'Toole and I, used to do the list of six at the end of each podcast on a different topic. So today the topic is going to be things to watch before or during election day next Tuesday. We're taping this on Thursday. It's going to drop Friday morning after our editor gets it out. So we're each going to pick three things to watch that are somehow surround elections or whatever. Why don't you lead it off, Elizabeth? What's your first pick? My first pick is Dr. Strangelove. Wow, interesting. Okay. It's one of my absolute favorite movies, and it will certainly entertain you. And at the end of the movie, you'll know what's at stake for this election, whose hand is on the button. Okay. You know what? I have never seen the film. (gasps) Oh, my God. I will will watch it tonight, probably. You've never seen Dr. Strangelove? (laughs) Oh, I haven't. Wait, are what, you a Kubrick fan? Yes, of course I am. Yes. And you've never seen Doctor Strange Love? No, I haven't. I'm going to watch it. Oh my it god, you're tonight. so you're so welcome. Okay, you're, you're so welcome. I, I well, I'll thank you afterward. <laughs> I'll thank you next week when we tape. Okay, but and I'm, I will tell you all of the history behind it because like there's so much to know. Okay, maybe but we anyway, can. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but you know, can't wait to hear from our our listeners what they think. Okay, so I'm going to be. I, of course, I go to the West Wing. I mean, how could I not? Season four. Episode seven, and the title appropriately is Election Night. And the reason I picked it is, is Donna has voted for all Republicans by mistake on her Wisconsin ballot. And again, you know, Aaron Sorkin, you know I love you deeply, but you always make the ditzes women. Very rarely are they men, and I just want to say, but, but I love her in this particular episode. And she decides to go and find someone at the polling place to exchange her vote with. So she's trying to extract a promise for someone to go in and vote her Democratic ticket uh, to offset her mistaken vote in Wisconsin. So, and that's why I chose this episode because Donna stands outside in the freezing cold. She stands out there for hours trying to get her vote right. And, (laughs) you know, it mirrors my vision of this election. Nothing is more important this year than our individual votes. So I think it's the one to watch. But the other thing is, you know, I think Sorkin's humor in this is, is absolutely the best. At one point, Toby and Sam and Josh are all in the same room. And Sam's new to the, to the team and whatever. So he, he says, You wrote a concession? Of course I wrote a concession. What do you, you want to tempt the wrath of the whatever from high atop the thing? No. Then go outside, turn around three times and spit. What the hell's the matter with you? It's like 25 degrees outside. Go. Hello. Oh, 
Mr. Lyman, I see your picture in the magazine. Tell me, if I swallow my ballot, does it... A little election day humor, that's great, I enjoyed that. He wrote a concession speech. Of course he wrote a concession speech, why wouldn't he? What possible reason would he have for not writing a concession speech? The wrath from high atop the thing. He upped and said we were gonna... No, you gotta go outside, turn around three times and curse. Spit. Spit and curse. Do everything. Go. 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 What the hell's the matter with you? Like, you know, of course you write a concession speech because if you don't write one, you're going to need one, you know? Yes. And there is that thing of, I don't know about you, but everybody I know, it's like, we're not going to talk about the polling numbers or anything because we just, it's the same thing. So there's no better West Wing episode that mirrors what's happening now than that one, I think. So that's my first pick. What's your second pick, Liz? My second pick is a movie from... I think 13 years ago now called the lives of others. It's a German film made about three people who live on the Eastern side of the wall during the cold war. And they are smuggling information across to the other side. It's told from the perspective of the Stasi agent who is installed in their attic to listen to their ongoings. It's an unbelievable film. It won best picture, best foreign picture, over Pan's Labyrinth, people were outraged. They were very upset. And those were people who had not seen the film because it is phenomenal. It's a tough one. It will make you cry, but it is absolutely worth it. Where can we see it? You can see it on Netflix. I think you can also rent it on Amazon Prime, but stick with it. It's a slow burn. Absolutely worth it to the very end. Okay. All right. I'm My second pick, of course... You know, Liz, you're just like O'Toole. You're the smart girl. And I come up, you know, my second pick is Reese Witherspoon's 1999 movie election. I love that movie. Okay. It's so good. (laughs) Matthew Broderick and Reese Witherspoon, who is the aggressive alpha female girl who runs for senior class president and pulls some fast ones. Again, this is 1999. I'm not sure they would have written her quite the way they did if it were 20 years later today. I'm just saying that. I just want to start off by saying that. But in the end, Matthew Broderick has to decide whether to throw away a ballot to let the better person win. And I'm not going to spoil you it all by telling you the ending. But suffice to say that it's relevant today in a way that I wish it weren't. I don't know how many ballots are being thrown away. But, but in the end, it's like, is there ballot suppression going on here? And election mm-hmm. 1999 is great. And with Reese Witherspoon, she could have been rewritten in a way that would have made some of her attributes strengths instead of such weaknesses. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that things have changed since 1999 because I do want to say that if you watch it, you know, you should look and say, how could she have been a little bit of a different character? You know, so... Yeah. It's a great movie. Yeah, it is a great movie. It's a fun movie. Okay, what's your last... My last one's a fun one, too. Okay. My last one is Adam Shankman's Hairspray. Oh, wow. Because... Is that 1971, I think? No, no, no. This is the musical adaptation. Oh, okay. (laughs) Queen Latifah and Michelle Pfeiffer and John Liz is a millennial and I'm 67. We we Uh, say no more. Okay. Okay. The reason... I, I would recommend Hairspray as A, you'll have a blast watching it because it's super fun. And two, as we say in my family, A and two, <laughs> there is a very important subtext to the movie about uh, equal rights and about the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And Queen Latifah sings, I know where I've been. And if that scene doesn't make you cry, 
and then you're laughing hysterically at John Travolta dresses a woman in the next scene. I failed you completely, but that movie is a blast. It has some things in it that are super important, but you will also be up and dancing at the end. Oh, good. Yeah, I like that. I, and hopefully we'll be all up and dancing on Tuesday too. Where can we see that? You can definitely watch Hairspray on Amazon. Huh. I don't know where else you can watch it for free. I don't think you can watch it for free right now. All right, well, if you want to choose my election, I forgot to mention that it's on Netflix. So it's for free on Netflix. It's a great movie. Yeah. Definitely not for kids. <laughs> okay, and then my third choice is Game Change from 2012, which takes us through the McCain-Palin pick and the ensuing election demise, you know, choosing her brought to him. You know, and the reason I think it's so relevant now is I just read an article last week about how she was really the first one to get up and campaign without facts, to yeah. just say whatever she wanted, to actually lie on the stump and not be challenged by the press that really became in the end intimidated by the aggressive nature in which they addressed how the press was treating her when really they were just asking her to be at a standard that had always been there for people running for political office. So I think when you watch it and how it all transpires, I think it really sets the stage for the last the years that, that have taken place since then, since 2008. And so I think there's a lot to say that in my mind, that's the beginning of when the Republican Party's trajectory toward what I hope will be self-destruction started. So it's on H. That's the beginning? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, well, no, it obviously goes back to Reagan taking away the middle class, but I don't want to even go there, but it's on HBO. Oh, and it's Chris, we got to have a whole other conversation <laughs> about Nixon, an introduction of Christianity into Republican politics. <laughs> okay. All right, we can do that too. You're right. But I worked for Nixon, actually, at the <gasps> I did. Ooh, this will be fun then. <laughs> I know. But uh, it's on HBO and Amazon Prime. And I really think that my third choice, The Game Change, if I watch one of anything, that would be the thing to watch to really set the stage for what we're up against on Tuesday. So, so we hope you all voted. We hope, don't we? we hope. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you haven't voted yet, please don't mail in your ballot. Go walk it to a, yep. a polling place because we can't rely on the mail, unfortunately, at this point. Yep. And if you're in Texas or Georgia or Pennsylvania, get your ass to a polling place, yeah. please. Yeah, please. <laughs> and whatever you can do, listen to this podcast on the way if you want, or watch one of these films when you're standing in line. But um, God bless America, Liz. God bless America. And hopefully next week when we'll do another podcast, we'll have happy news. We'll see. From your lips. To God's ears. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the week. Mm -hmm.